The following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky, and is reproduced here for the benefit of its members. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples, and we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we believe that You are speaking to us through Your Word as we gather in the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we come submissive. Lord, we come in the Spirit in which Christ taught us to pray. Praying for Your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. For Your kingdom to come. For your name to be hallowed. And so, Lord, please accomplish that now. May your will be done in these moments and in all the moments after in the life of your people. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, no matter how hard we try, it is impossible for human beings to be in two places at once. Now that, that happens, that's true no matter how hard we try. We do try, don't we? I was on a Zoom call, and st- I have a staff meeting Zoom call. I don't always drive to Lexington for it. Sometimes I do it uh, in my office on my desk, and, and sometimes I try to multitask. And this past time, I was uh, answering some emails. And Pastor David said, Casey, what do you think about that? And I immediately realized that I had no idea what he was talking about because I can't be in two places at once. I told you a few weeks ago about the pastor down in Florida who pastors a church with, I think, like nine different campuses, and his church was investing $100,000 in holographic technology so that he could appear to be present in all nine locations at once. He said he wanted to do that to make it more personal. You know, sometimes we hate this limitation. Sometimes it's really a drag. Uh, One time somebody gave me um, some UK Auburn basketball tickets at Rupp Arena on a Saturday, and it just so happened to be the same day as baseball tryouts. And so I really, you know me, this is a real struggle. I took the tickets and I begged my wife to go to the tryouts and evaluate players for me that day. I regretted that decision for the next three months. It was the worst baseball team I've ever coached. But my wife, I love her. It just wasn't her gift at that time. She could probably do it today, actually. And sometimes this limitation is very convenient, you know, when somebody... Like Kyle Sivers says, hey, can you help me move? And you say, I've got baseball practice as a coach this morning. Sorry, bud, I can't be in two places at once. He's in the nursery today, so you guys will have to tell him. But you know, I don't think technology is ever going to overcome this limitation. And so, you know, submission to it is probably the best course. Wouldn't you agree? 
But it is this limitation, it is this inability that you might not have seen it in, if, you, if you've read Acts 1 in the past, but it's at the heart of Acts. How can you be in two places at once? That's really kind of the central thing happening here because Jesus is leaving the earth in Acts 1. That's what's going on. Jesus is ascending. You, you will hear us in church say the ascension of Christ. And uh, I realize today that, that maybe we don't define what we mean by that very much, but, but this, that's what it means. The ascension of Christ means that after his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven and is right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's Jesus' location. And you know, we get to Acts 1, and the apostles are really nervous about this. They're, they're really scared about it. You, you can imagine. This is the leader of their movement, and for some reason, I don't think they would have been comforted if Jesus would have said, hey, don't worry, guys. I'm going to leave behind holographic technology. It'll make it seem a lot more personal to you. I don't think that would have worked. We can resonate. I'm sure that if you've lived long enough, you've lost someone in your life that seemed to be the glue, haven't you? You've lost someone that seemed to be able to hold it all together, and, and once that person's gone, you begin to ask that question, how are we going to continue? What's life even going to look like without that person around? That is the question that Acts 1 is answering. And, and I need you to understand something about the whole study of Acts. When we study the book of Acts, it is very relevant to us because our historical moment is the same as Acts. And that's not true of the whole Bible. What's happening in the Gospels, there's, there's a lot of differences between our time and that time. You read the Old Testament, there's a lot of differences between that age and our age. But when we read the book of Acts, we are reading about our age, this specific epoch in redemptive history. Right here in Acts, this is where it begins. And so, to answer the question, how did the first church continue without the physical presence of Jesus, is to answer the same question for us today. How does the church today continue without the physical presence of Jesus? How does the, the movement centered on Jesus accomplish Jesus' mission without the physical presence of Jesus? Four things. Four things that we need if we're going to do that. The first one in verses 6 through 8. We need a clear direction. Verses 6 through 8. So look at what we see in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, in the passage we just read, Luke tells us that Jesus for 40 days has been teaching them about the kingdom of God and telling them that they are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so the question they ask in verse 6 is natural. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you right now about to do it all? Are you about to set up this huge kingdom? Are you about to initiate the takeover? What does this look like? Are we on the brink of the momentous moment of all of your promises coming true? Now their question 
if you look at it closely, reveals confusion. Three things that they seem to get wrong. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Restore. See, they have in their memories, and and we can read about it in the Old Testament, the the age of David, the age of Solomon, the age where, where Israel was a huge political power in the world, and they want that to be the way it is again. And so they are looking for a restoration and this, this question, this word restore, proves that they are thinking about a political kingdom. Well, church, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we still struggle with this, don't we? We still often think that Jesus is going to bring about a political kingdom. Even though He clearly told us that my kingdom is not of this world. But there's another way that they get it wrong. They say, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they're still thinking about the Jewish people. Israel. Our race. Are you going to bring all the other nations and bow them down before us? Are we going to be restored? That's a misunderstanding too. And then the third misunderstanding. Lord, will you at this time, they think it's going to be immediate they think it's going to happen now and church if we go back and we study everything jesus teaches us about his kingdom through all of the bible what we are going to understand is that all three of these points are wrong jesus's kingdom is not a political kingdom jesus's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and i'm saying spiritual with a capital s it is a kingdom that does not come about through natural means it is a kingdom that comes about through the spirit of god working through the preaching of the gospel that's what this kingdom is and this kingdom is not a national kingdom It is not to benefit one race of people or one country above another. This kingdom is an international kingdom. All tribes, all tongues, all languages, all colors of skin, all are welcome to come. All will come. And it is not an immediate kingdom. Jesus teaches us this so clearly in the Gospels. It is a gradual kingdom. It is like a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds, but when planted, it doesn't seem to be anything at all. But over time, it mysteriously grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. That's what this kingdom is. But this question that they're asking, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It is also a question about control. They want to know when. When are you going to do it? Are you going to do it now? Will you give us the date on the calendar in church? That's the question we struggle with today as well. But I need you to understand something. Control gets in the way of trust. If you are trying to snatch control, you are not trusting the one in control. Do you see that? All of us want peace and security and comfort. There are two methods of trying to achieve peace and security and comfort. You can try to go out and get it yourself by controlling everything and micromanaging your life, or you can trust the God who says, I've got everything under control. 
To live one way is to hinder the other. But look at what Jesus says in response. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons. It's not for you to know these things. I'm not giving you control. I'm not handing you the reins that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is Jesus saying, you are focused on the wrong thing. You have your prophecy chart out and you are trying to determine when it's all going to happen and I'm telling you, you need to have your witnessing Bible out. You need to be on the streets. You need to be in the neighborhoods. You need to be gathering people around your table, telling them the good news. Quit thinking about when. You let the Father worry about that. You think about being my witnesses, and I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish that. You know, this is... I think when Jesus responds in this way... He gets to the heart of, of, he cuts through so much of the stuff that we let get in the way of why we're not obedient. You know, so often, I've heard this throughout my Christian life, so often we use our lack of understanding as an excuse for lack of action. You ever do that? You ever use your, I, I just don't know enough. I, if I just knew more, then I would be able to do what God calls me to do. I'll act when I know more. Or no one has taught me how yet. And what Jesus is doing here is He's saying, listen, you only need what I'm giving you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, which is the city where they are. Judea, a little bit further out. Samaria, a little bit further out. And to the end of the earth, which at this moment in time, they can't even conceptualize because all of the lands of the earth haven't even been discovered yet. Jesus says, you're going to be my global witnesses. I want you to do this, and I'm going to give you everything you need. Church, this is our calling today. What Anna and our team did in that trailer park yesterday is what every single one of us is called to do. To bear witness about the truth of the Gospel. Jesus gave this mission to the apostles who go out and preach and form churches because the mission gets passed from them to the churches. We are the church. That mission has not been completed. Jesus hasn't come back yet. So this is still what we're supposed to be about. The main thing that we're supposed to be about. You know, sometimes I think that culture really kind of trains us to be spectators. I watch a lot of sports. I'm not participating in sports. When I watch sports, I'm a spectator. You go to the movie, you're a spectator. You go to a play, you're a spectator. We're constantly being entertained. And sometimes I think we bring that mentality to church and we sit in the pews or the chairs here. 
and we mistakenly think that we're spectators. That, that your job is to sit and to watch other people who are really passionate about these things do it, and you're just going to sit there. I'm just going to sit there. We're just going to sit there as spectators. But church, listen to me. I've read all the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, and I have yet to find the spiritual gift of spectating. It's not there. And you don't pay professionals to do this. This isn't something I do. The Holy Spirit was given to you for the purpose of bearing witness to the world. If you have the Spirit, you're a witness. We all have a role to play. So we've all got to ask, am I involved in what Christ has called us to do? But here's the second ingredient. So we need a clear direction. He gives us a clear direction. We also need an ascended Christ. Look in verses 9-11. through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, if I ask you, hey, give me the basic story of the gospel. What's the gospel? I wonder how you would answer that question. And if I said to you, just tell me, what, tell me the basic story of Jesus. I bet it would go something like this. Well, Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died as a substitutionary atonement on the cross. Three days later, Jesus was, re was resurrected. And we usually stop, don't we? That's usually where it ends. And, and, and that's really striking because the ascension where Jesus goes to heaven is so important to Luke that he gives us two different accounts of it. One at the end of the Gospel of Luke and another here at the beginning of Acts. Why is the ascension so important? Why is it so vital? Right after he gives his instructions about being his witness, as, as his apostles are gathered and looking on, he is lifted up a cloud takes them out of their sight. They are standing there looking into heaven where he has now disappeared from view and they are paralyzed. They do not know what to do. They are frozen. They are helpless. And God in his mercy sends a messenger, two messengers, two men stood by them in white robes. Those aren't just men. And they, they give them a gentle rebuke, a little nudge. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way that you saw him go. He will come back. There is an encouragement to them. There's comfort. Stop standing there. He just told you what to do. That's what's implied here. Now, why is the ascension important? Well, I want to unpack this for you really quickly. Here's the first thing I want you to do. Look back with me at chapter 1, verse 1. How Luke begins the gospel. In the first book, O Theophilus, he's writing Luke and Acts 
to a guy named Theophilus. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you see that? He's implying something there. He says, in in the Gospel of Luke, I told you everything that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, in the book of Acts, I'm going to tell you everything that Jesus is now doing. So listen, the book of Acts, I think, is misnamed in our Bibles. I don't think it's the Acts of the Apostles. I think it's the Acts of the Ascended Christ. You see, Jesus' ascension indicates a change where now Jesus is no longer limited by space and time and a physical body. Now Jesus is in heaven and He is continuing His work through the body of Christ, the church on earth. Jesus is working today. When Jesus says, I am with you wherever two or three are gathered in my name, he is talking about the church gathered. When you go to the trailer park to do VBS, Jesus is doing that. When you knock on your neighbor's door and you invite them to church, that is Jesus working. Jesus is working all over the world. Jesus is continuing his ministry today in a way far greater than he was able to do even in the limitations of his humanity on this earth. And and I know this is true because there's all kinds of passages where if you don't have an an understanding of the ascension, these passages don't make any sense. In John 14, 12, this is Jesus saying this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. How how will we do greater works than Jesus because Jesus has gone to the Father? The answer to that question is that Jesus is going to do the works through us, multiplied, all of his people covering the planet. What do you think Jesus is doing right now? I want to ask you that. Think about it. I can assure you that he's not taking a nap. He's not in hibernation. He's not waiting passively for a date on the calendar to turn so that he can come back. Church, do you realize that Jesus is more active in the world right now than he ever was when he was physically present on the world. His power is multiplied through His church. He is present with His people. The millions of people that He has saved. He is working through us. Now listen, the news is never going to report on that. Do you realize that? You see, I think that I think we, we really suffer here in the West because we have a tendency to evaluate the world based on whatever the news is telling us, whatever the headlines read. And so we are constantly going, oh, where is God? God is absent. You know, we, we lament the secular West. Church attendance is dropping. Jesus isn't doing anything. Where is Jesus? Everything's falling apart. We begin to think in these ways, but do you know what Jesus is doing? He's showing up in other parts of the world and He is exploding His church. 
Fox News, CNN, they're not going to tell you about that. You know right now where the fastest growing evangelical movement is right now, this moment? It's in a country called Iran. Yeah, the Muslim theocracy. 20 years ago, experts tell us there were probably somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 Christians total. 20 years ago. Today, they estimate that there is between 800,000 and 1 million Christians in that Muslim theocracy. That is explosive growth. And so listen, the church attendance might be drying up in your neck of the woods. Don't you think for a minute that that means Jesus isn't working because the church is exploding in South America and Africa and Asia and the Middle East. Jesus is working all over the place. I read a report a few weeks ago. I shared it on my Facebook page because when I see these reports, I'm like, this doesn't, we don't get these reports enough. But it was a report about two IMB missionaries in North Africa who had spent 11 years ministering the gospel among desert horsemen and nomadic farmers, and they had seen no fruit. Imagine ministering, sharing Christ for 11 years and not seeing hardly any fruit. But the whole time during those 11 years, they were translating the Bible into audio because this is an oral culture so that these people could hear the Word of God in their own language. And when they got done with that translation, people began hearing God's words for themselves. And one of their first converts said to them, if this book is so important, why did it take so long to get here? He said, how long have you Americans had it? And now, they are in the middle of a growing movement of house churches among that people. Eleven years, no fruit. Now, churches are springing up all over the place. That's the ascended Jesus at work, church. Do you see that? Jesus isn't taking a nap. We've got to expect Him to do more. He will do more. He's doing more. You might not see it. He's doing more. So when we do ministry, when we do VBS, we've got to do ministry with confidence knowing that we are the arms and legs of the ascended Jesus. In Acts 18.10, Jesus tells Paul, hey, go into this city and I want you to know, I have many in this city who are my people. These weren't people who knew Jesus yet. What Jesus is telling Paul is that there are people in this city, and I'm already going to call them mine because I'm sending you in there, and you're going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to save them. Church, there are people in this city who are Jesus's, and they don't know it yet. There are children who will come for VBS and they belong to Christ and they've never heard His name. And it's our job to get them. It is our job to be faithful with this task. 
to bear witness, to represent the ascended Christ on earth because the church is His body. That's not just some cute illustration. Jesus says, no, you are my body. I'm the head. You're the body. That's the second thing we need. We need the ascended Christ. The third thing we need is the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit in the weeks ahead, particularly next week. But I do want to point out very quickly that the reason why they were gathered, if you'll remember, we read in verses 1 through 5, particularly verses 4 and 5, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he gives them this promise. And then in verses 12 through 14, this is what they do in response. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers." I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. They don't just sit by and passively wait. They get down on their faces together and they say, God, send us your Spirit. We are waiting for your Spirit. They are praying in full knowledge of the Gospel, by the way. They are praying now in full knowledge of Christ being ascended. That He is right now their advocate before the Father. Their righteousness in His eyes. The Gospel... It is through the gospel that we access the power of the Spirit. We don't abstract the work of Jesus from the Spirit. Those aren't two different things. You don't focus on Christ or the Spirit. You focus on Christ and you receive the Spirit. It all goes together. The Holy Spirit always works in connection with the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is not some power zap. The Holy Spirit is when God's people faithfully proclaim His Word and the Spirit enters into the hearts of those who hear it and causes people to believe and respond in faith. The Spirit's present now. The Spirit empowers us to witness with confidence. We're going to talk more about the Spirit in the coming weeks, but let's move to the fourth thing, the testimony of the apostles, verses 15-26. through This is the fourth thing we need to continue. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So this is the dilemma. There were 12 of us, 12 being, being a very intentional, specific number. 12 tribes of Israel, there are 12 apostles. This is the new people of God. But there's only 11 because Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas is apostate. So the whole issue in these verses is how do we 
replace him. And Peter goes through and he says for verse 20, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. And so he is interpreting the scriptures about Judas that that this was ordained of God. This was not a surprise to God, but we must replace him. Another must take his office. And so what's the criteria for that? Verse 21 So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. In other words, we are going to send out for resumes. Everyone submit your resumes to the apostles. Here's the number one criteria. The only criteria. Were you there with us from the beginning till now? Did you witness everything Jesus said and did? And that results in two candidates. They put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, we read this and we get all hung up like casting lots. Well, maybe we should pick a pastor that way. You can try. Wouldn't advise it. I would remind you that this is right before the Spirit comes to lead his people. We, we live in a different time now where the Spirit already indwells His people. But, but the point that I want you to see here is the, the priority that is upon the apostles. Without the ministry of the apostles, I want you to hear me clearly, church. Without the ministry of the apostles, we do not have a link to Jesus. Jesus commissioned the apostles to bear witness because without the testimony of the apostles, there is no church. The connection to Jesus is lost. The link to Jesus is preserved through the witnesses that he called to bear witness about everything he did. Today, we have their witness preserved in their writings. That witness is still just as important today, just as essential today. Our witness today still relies on their testimony. And so if we are going to fulfill their calling, we must be dependent upon the words that God has revealed through His Spirit, through the apostles, what we would call the New Testament. So what do we need? If we are going to fulfill the calling Jesus has given us, we need a clear direction. Praise be to God, He has given us that. We need an ascended Christ. Praise be to God, He is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father interceding on behalf of His people. We need the Holy Spirit. Praise be to God that the moment we repent and put our faith in Jesus, we receive His Spirit who fills us and indwells us. And we need the testimony of the apostles. Praise be to God, He has given us the testimony of the apostles through the Scriptures. Church, we have everything we need. Now it's just time for us to get busy.
Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for the clarity of Your Word to us, the the power of Your Spirit and the way Your Spirit works among us and in us to lead us. But Lord, we want to see more. God, we want to see revival. God, we want to see multitudes come to faith. We want to see whole communities repent and put their faith in Christ. We want to send out not one missionary, not two missionaries. Lord, we want to send out hundreds, thousands of missionaries from right here to go to the ends of the earth. We want to plant churches. We want to be evidence that You are at work in this world bringing the Gospel to bring hope to the lost. Lord, we want to be a part of that movement. Lord, we, we know from Your Scriptures that You have given us everything we need. And Lord, we pray now that You would lead and guide Your church as we get ready for VBS this summer, as we send people off on various trips to New Orleans and other places around the world, Lord, we pray for fruit. We pray to see believers. We pray to see the dead come to life. We pray to see the blind see. We pray to see You glorified among them all. Lord, lead and guide us. Lead and guide your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.